Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, happy Monday. We're starting a whole new week, and I'm so glad that you're joining me. And, and we're going to really focus a little bit more on couples, marriage, marriages, partnerships, these types of things this week. And we are going to really work on what are our, because we've talked a lot about the structure of relationships, and we've talked about top relationship sex killers, top relationship killers. We've talked about lots of this stuff. And so today, we're going to look at nine of the most overlooked insidious issues that undermine couples and marriages. So I, I, you know, I feel bad for the marital communication because it gets blamed for everything. You, You know, for generations, survey after survey, couples have rated marital communication as the number one problem in marriage. Well, I'm here to tell you it's really not. Marital communication is, and, and couples communication is really getting a bad rap. It's, it's kind of like the kid who, who fights um, back on the playground. You know, the playground supervisors hear a commotion and they turn their heads just in time to see his retaliation. He didn't create the problem. He was reacting to the problem. But he's the one that gets caught and he's the one sent to the principal's office. That's what the communication issue is. It, it really is one of the, the things that most couples come to therapy about is saying we, we don't know how to communicate. So everyone kind of gangs up on, on communication. And, and really, it's just the reaction to a lot of other troublemakers in the relationship. So we're going to look at what the, what the real bottom line is, what really is underlying why we get this, this overall umbrella of it's a communication problem. So we're going to look at, at some real issues that are really the cause of that breakdown in communication. So I want you to think about this. You know, we, we marry people, we couple with people because we like who they are. But people change. So plan on it. You don't want to marry someone because of who they quote-unquote are or who you want them to become. You don't want to couple with somebody because the, the, the biggest issue is that over a lifetime they're going to change. Now that doesn't mean that the essence of who we are changes. That, that, is, that, that is true. That does not change. But the presentation can change. So it can either become a worse presentation, a worse experience that you're going to have of me, or as I grow mature and get healthier, I become less dysfunctional versus the dysfunction I brought into the partnership. So you, you, you marry the person, you partner with a person because of who they are determined to become. And then you spend that lifetime joining them in their becoming. 
as they join you in yours. And if you remember last Friday, we talked about the God who sees me. This is what we're wanting to do. We want to see past the good work, you know, that, that stuff that God has to change in that person. And the only way that we can look past that and see the person behind all that dysfunction is if that person is determined to become better. These are the trustworthy people, not the perfect people, because there are no perfect people. The trustworthy people are the ones that care more about their dysfunction than you care. They're more disturbed by their dysfunction than it disturbs you. These are the trustworthy people. The trustworthy people, the ones that you can depend on, the heroes, the people you can admire, are the ones that are determined to become who God has truly called them to be. So you don't want to just marry or partner with somebody because you initially like them. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm all for we need to like who we love. There's nothing better than liking the person you love. Because we have lots of people in our lives that we love, but we might not like them very much. So there's nothing better than liking who you love. And, and I, many times I, I tell clients, I say, you know, if you want to be liked, be likable. If you want to be loved, be lovable. That's, that's up to us. As adults, we choose. Are we going to be on top of our own program? Are we going to become that person that God has called us to be? Because if we do, we will most likely be very likable and very lovable. And in the process... Are we going to take responsibility for that and not be defensive when someone's pointing things out or someone's saying, hey, I have a problem with that behavior. I have a problem with that tone of voice. I have a problem with whatever that may be. And it's probably a fact. And so if we go back to adults can tolerate negative feelings, right? The adult part of me says, you know, you're right. It's a fact. It's a fact. I don't like looking at it. I wish you didn't see it. But I'm working on it. And it's my responsibility, and I really appreciate your patience and your acceptance and your love and forgiveness in my process. Because that's being the eyes of Christ. That's seeing past the person. But we can only do that if that person is taking care of their side of the street and really working on their own program. Then we can trust that person. We can trust them with God. God, God that God's the one, it's, you know, it's God's problem. And we can be with them while they are becoming. Second, really insidious issue that undermines good couples is choosing broken, resilient hearts. I think, you know, when, when we're willing to choose brokenness. That's different. That's different than dysfunction. Okay, we don't want to choose a broken person that is unwilling to work on something. So one of the most important questions that we ask ourselves when we're contemplating whether or not to partner with this person, move in with them, marry them, is we, need to, we must decide how much of ourselves are we willing to invest in the healing of the relationship when it goes awry. So do I trust the heart of the person I love? Are they aware of their own brokenness? 
because everyone's broken. So we choose broken people, but we want to make sure that we are not choosing people that are willing to stay broken. So are we aware of their brokenness? Can we give them grace in the middle of the mess? Right? Are we able to acknowledge their mistakes and apologize when necessary? Do we have a deep desire to redeem, to redeem the relationship when it starts to pull apart and fall apart and when the world, because I, I tell clients all the time, you know, the world is constantly, every time you walk out the door of your house, it's trying to pull you apart. It's trying to pull couples apart. So we have to ask ourselves, is the, is the person, the broken person that I'm loving, are they egocentric? Are they, are they more concerned with self-preservation and power and competition and self-righteousness? Or are they really willing to be seen and humble in the process? Are they strong enough to be seen? Are they strong enough to let you see all the imperfection? And are they trustworthy enough knowing that they are actually taking care of it and working on it? And this is very important because we don't want to like, we, we don't want to just like somebody. We want to really find out if they're going to become somebody. What are they striving for? Where are they going? How seriously do they take the brokenness that they are presenting to the relationship? And these are important questions that we, that we need to really ponder. And we need to also ask ourselves, how willing am I to work through healing my brokenness? How safe am I to be in relationship with? So the second one. Understanding that being a part of a couple and being married doesn't necessarily take away our loneliness. To be alive is to be lonely. It's the human condition. And so partnership, couples, marriages, that doesn't take and change the human condition. It can't make us completely unlonely. And we need to recognize that it, it, it helps the loneliness that humans feel. The best way to help that loneliness is to be seen, to be willing to see and to be seen. But when it doesn't work, when it's not happening, we can't blame our partner for doing something wrong or, or go search for other companionship someplace else. Because committed couples, marriages, this is intended to be a place where two humans share the experience of loneliness. And in sharing, they create moments in which the loneliness dissipates. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what we find is that we are always going to have those moments of loneliness. Jesus was lonely. He missed God. Part of the human condition is the fact that we were designed to be connected to God all the time. That's what he was doing with Adam and Eve. And the fallenness broke that connection. Jesus is the one that is connecting us to God. But we will never be fully connected and, and fully um, free of loneliness until 
we get we go home so one of the, the greatest things that couples do is they help to dissipate that loneliness so marriage and, and partnerships, that's doing life with someone versus doing life together. See, we have, we have many together moments, but the most precious thing Christ offers is companionship. He's a friend to me while I do my life. He walks with me as I do my life. So the companionship part of couples means I get to do my life with someone else. And, and this, is one of the most, this is one of the most powerful things. They can cheer me up. They can support me. They can encourage me, offer me feedback, love me when no one else does, tell me things no one else can. But they can't and they shouldn't be expected to do my life. Nor should I ever, quote, unquote, toss my life or leave my life because now I'm, in a, now I'm a couple puts way too much pressure on that relationship. See, the, the coupleness, the marriage, that can't be your life. That's how you're choosing to live your life. You're choosing to live your life as a committed person, as a married person. But you don't stop doing your life and let the marriage or the couple be your life. Way too much pressure. So the third insidious thing that undermines all good couples is shame, the baggage, the emotional baggage of shame. And we all carry it. It's just part of the human condition because sin shames people. So we spend most of our adolescence and early adulthood trying to pretend that our shame doesn't exist. Think about in the Garden of Eden. Once they sinned, they felt shame, and they hid. They didn't want God to see them. And many times, when the person we love triggers that in us, we blame them for creating it. So you come to a relationship, a marriage, with an aching need to be treated gently and to have your worthiness affirmed or be granted ample freedom and space within the relationship to work stuff out and to not always have to be hiding because you're worried that if you're seen, you'll be rejected. So regardless of how the wounds got there, whether it was childhood trauma, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, abandonment, uh, or things that happened outside of, of the family, Wh whatever that is, because families are imperfect, so there's always going to be some level of shame. So regardless of how the wound got there, it hurts. And the more the wound hurts, the more we protect it. And we protect it because our wounds are our vulnerability. Our wounds expose us and reveal the painful fullness of the stories that we have all lived. So blaming our partner, our spouses, is less painful than wading, you know, into the origins of the wound itself. I, I, I'm always telling my clients, you know, the bravest people are the ones that come to therapy. Because it is hard work to face it, to see it, 
to be seen in the midst of it and to heal from the woundedness. And it's risky. It's risky. So exposing our vulnerability to our partner, to our spouses, is risky. This is one of the reasons I do this show. I want us to be trustworthy people. I want us to be safe people. We're not going to be perfect people. So there's this tendency that we protect the wounds with, with blame and contempt and bitterness and anger and defensiveness. But that wound is demanding healing. And the only way that humans heal is in relationship. That's how we do it. We can't just heal by ourselves. God has made us relational beings. All mammals are relational. God is a God of relationship. So we are made in his image. So we want to be careful that we, we don't become enslaved by our own woundedness and brokenness or the woundedness and brokenness of the other person that we love. And then we get into a cycle of the blame game. So freedom from wounds and from blame can only be found in confession. Confession is the redemption of, de uh, of deception. I'm going to say that again. Confession is the redemption of deception. When Adam and Eve were willing to be seen, God was able to make a plan and forgive them. Instead of them continuing to try to deceive God about what they did. So couples who transform, right, they transform when they confess to one another, their feelings, their fears, their hopes, their dreams, their mistakes. And this is where we find healing. This is where we find resiliency. This is where uh, the, the couples, the marriage, the partnership becomes so strong. So we confess the lie. We confess the behavior. We confess that we didn't handle it correctly. We reveal ourselves to our partner. This is gutsy. This is courageous. And we then end up trading the blame for vulnerability. Now we become storytellers. We share the fullness of our stories and the depth of our lifelong wounds. We reveal that. We are willing to be seen. And we confess the needs that we have and why we are wanting to partner with this person. And we quit demanding from our partner, you know, th this, this perfection that we need from them in order for them to get a good version of us. We stop demanding that they be perfect. And so it's, it's this, wonderful, this wonderful process that we can do in a couple, in, in that partnership, in that, in that marriage, that with fear and trembling, right, we enter into vulnerability, powerlessness, and we are then allowed this wonderful, gracious love. So the truth is, we didn't create their problem necessarily, whatever they, whatever they brought into the relationship. But we want to make sure that we're working hard at fixing whatever those problems are so we don't create new problems for ourselves within our relationship.
So number four, ego. Well, we all have one. We came by it honestly, <laughs> probably sometime around fourth grade when kids started to be jerks to us, right? Maybe even earlier if our family members were not as healthy as we needed them to be. Now, see, ego is a good thing. It keeps us safe. It, it, it really, when it's done well, it keeps us safe. And you may have heard me talk about one of the best examples of a person that had, has the, a strong ego. The healthiest, strongest ego was Jesus. And the hallmark of a strong ego is knowing yourself, not betraying your own value system, your own ethical code. Strong egos don't lose sight of the vision. Strong egos can handle criticism. Strong egos can handle negative feelings. Jesus was the perfect example of someone with a strong ego. He was so humble because he knew who he was and he didn't have to get all his needs met by people and he didn't have to be treated with kit gloves. And he didn't lose sight of the mission and no matter how critical people were, he was still able to be kind, gracious, understanding, patient, loving. No matter how badly people treated him, he did not betray his own value system and abuse them back. He could have killed everybody, right? And so this is really important. We need to show up as a grown-up. What does grown-ups look like? Always remember, the grown-up world is very gray. And thank God he is the God of gray. Because if he were the, only the black and white God, which was kind of the God of the Old Testament, we'd all be dead. So he is the God of the gray. He sees past our fallenness. And he works with us. So we want to make sure that we're a grown-up if we're in an adult relationship. So we, we use vulnerability instead of aggression and grace instead of power. So we're coming to the end of the hour, and we're going, we have nine, so we're, we're only to four. And so we're going we're gonna to come back tomorrow, and we're going to talk about the other ones. So really think about this idea of how, how can I allow God to give me that strong ego? And some of that is just knowing who you are, accepting who you are, forgiving yourself, being committed to yourself, recognizing that you are a person of immense value. You don't die for something if it's not valuable. And Jesus died for us because of our value, not because we were perfect, not because we were finished. And so, you know, I love that verse, Philippians uh, chap uh, chapter 1, verse 6, says, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we're not done until we die or Jesus comes back. So we're all in the same boat. He's doing a good work in all of us. And so we want to make sure that we are accepting and loving and kind of ourselves so that we can also give that to the people we love. So I want you to have a great rest of your day. Make sure you get, um, visit the website. You can listen to the shows, the other shows. Please pass them on to your friends. We're really wanting the world to be a healthier place. We're wanting Christians to look different. 
I want you to have a great day. And God loves you. Love others well. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.